Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Hello and welcome to the Mini Lowdown. Today is Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. And if anyone's keeping track, it's episode 126. So on our program today, we've got three reporters with three interesting stories. We've got Caitlin Devitt in Chicago talking about the latest uh, deal for the city of Chicago. We've got Simone Barabo in Miami, Florida, talking about her hospital watch uh, that she uh, writes up. And finally, from our San Juan office, we have Ava Lorenz talking about the latest uh, restructuring deal with PREPA. Okay, let's start with Kaylin. How are you doing today, Kaylin? Pretty good, Young. How are you? Good, thank you. So let's talk about the city of Chicago where you live. Now, the city is coming to market with a fairly large deal. We're talking about over a billion dollars worth. Why are they coming to market and when? Well, yeah, it's a fairly big deal. They've got authority to do $1.5 billion. They're expected to do $1.2 billion. And it's a refunding, so it's not new money. Right. Um, they're doing it because it's actually a crucial part of solving this big budget gap that they're facing next year. Um, their fiscal year is on our calendar year, so it starts on January 1st. And they're doing it, they're refunding and restructuring. They think it's going to generate about $215 million in savings and in interest rate savings. And so they're going to use that to take all that up front to solve the um, estimated budget gap, which is $838 million. So the refinancing is one of several sort of both one-time and recurring revenue solutions that the new mayor, Lori Lightfoot, has proposed to offset that budget gap. The city had also hoped that the state would pass some new laws. They wanted a progressive uh, real estate transfer tax and a revamped casino bill, but that those things didn't happen. So they had to kind of go to a plan B, which included bumping up. Originally, they wanted to do this refunding for about $200 million in savings. Now they're hoping to do it for about to achieve about $215 million in savings. So originally they were, in terms of when they were going to do it, originally they were thinking, I think, as soon as this week. But we have yet to see the POS out, and not all the rating reports have come out. The GO reports have, but not at the sales tax securitization, which is going to be the bulk of the deal. So I would say as early as next week, but more likely, you know, in the new year. All right. Now, I'm going to ask you about the details of the financing. And I, but you were mentioning about the savings for the, based on the interest rates. You said they were generated roughly $20 million over the life of the bonds. I'm sure it's part of the details, but tell me about the interest rates as well that they're expected to see down from whatever they're currently paying. Right. So they um, they expect to see the CFO um, has said they expect to achieve about three. They want to see coupons in about the three to three and a half uh, interest rate range. That's going to be down from four point now nine percent that they pay now on the GOs. Right. So that's how they would. And that goes out um, over the life. In fact, they'd be shortening the life of the debt by one year down to 2039 from 2040. So by bringing those, that interest rate down 
um, by that much. They expect to achieve, you know, to achieve about 215 or 210 million. Um, the way that the main way they're doing that is they're going to. So, like I said, they've got that 1.5 billion. They're expected to do 1.2 um, of that, and that's all geos and and some motor fuel tax. Um, bonds, and of that, they're expected to refund, restructure about 180 or 175 million into geos, and then the rest of it, the billion dollars, into their sales tax securitization corp credit. Uh, you know, if you remember, that's their kind of new credit they created a couple of years ago in late 2017. They've been relying heavily on it to, for savings in all their refundings over the last several years. They're refunding their geos into that sales tax, and um, because it's got all these giant protections built into it for investors they're seeing a lot more they're seeing a lot lower interest rate on that so that's where they're getting the savings so and of course you know they would take all the savings up front even though it would have even though they'd be lowering debt service over the life of the bonds they'd be taking it all up front a couple questions on the details of it i know there's a controversial tax on ride sharing like the ubers and the lyfts tell me a little bit more about that Sure. That's a separate deal. That's a budget thing. They've got this. Um, it was actually, you know, the most probably the most controversial part of the budget. The um, new administration really she she really imposed a lot higher tax on rideshare in some areas during some times. So if you're a single rider coming downtown between the hours of I think it's 8 a.m. and 10 p.m. So it's a, that's a huge swath of time. Right, right. Um, the fee on your rideshare is going to go all the way up to three dollars. And then she lowered it for if you're taking Uber Pool or another sh- shared ride mm-hmm. in the neighborhood outside the central district. So they're trying to generate a bunch of money by you know imposing that new fee because the Lightfoot administration is saying it's sort of both good financial policy and social sort of environmental policy to try to lessen some of the congestion. They sort of see it as a congestion tax a little bit downtown. Oh, I see. Okay. And can you also talk about on the underwriting team, you've got minority and women-owned firms. There was also a question about that or some kind of talk. Yeah, that was, that was um, you know, the, the refunding went, the, the refunding ordinance uh, passed without much discussion with the city council. It was part of the new budget, as I said, but there were a couple questions, and that's what they were around, exactly the um, percentage of minority and women-owned firms that are on the finance team. That's something that aldermen always bring up. They're always concerned about that. They want to see you know, a high level of minority participation. And the CFO said this time that more than 50% of the underwriting team is minority and or women-owned. She said that's the highest percentage in the city's history of, of um, financing. So that was sort of interesting. Goldman's running the books on it and J.P. Morgan, but Cabrera Capital Markets and Siebert Williamshanks, both of which are um, minority firms, are uh, also on the underwriting team. And I wanted to mention also in terms of the structure that that the cities uh, typically with the sales tax, they use the senior lien. This deal is going to, for the first time, set up a junior lien on that sales tax. So that's going to be something that's new, and we'll have to see how the ratings come out on that. S&P has already put out its rating it's on it at double A minus, which is the same it has on the senior lien, and um, so that'll be interesting. We'll see. We're, we'll see what the other rating agencies have on that. Yeah, that sounds interesting, a junior lien. Okay, and um, before I get to my last question, I just want to backtrack uh, for a second. I, you mentioned about um, uh, something, STSC, which is Sales Tax Securization Corp., which was uh, created by the former mayor. 
Can you maybe elaborate a little bit about that? That's the sales tax credit um, that I've been talking about that was created by um, former Mayor Rahm Emanuel in late 20, and his finance team mm-hmm. in late 2017. And they originally were allowed to, the original ordinance allows them to do three up to $3 billion on that senior lien. They've used almost all of that. I think they're maybe at 2.6. So they've used almost all of that. And they originally got AAA ratings on all of it. They, Fitch and Kroll still have AAA ratings. S&P downgraded it to AA minus, linking it more closely to the city's to the city's geo credit. But those, you know, those sort of gold-plated ratings are what have, has allowed it Chicago, with all of its financial problems, to still come to market and and achieve some pretty good rates. Okay, now here's the last question, Caitlin. How the Chicago deal? How is this not a uh, what do you, what do they call it? A scoop and a toss? A scoop and toss. Yes, yeah. yeah, a lot of people do think it's a scoop and toss. Um, I think it sort of depends on your definition of it. The city is real defensive about this because they were criticized. They relied on it heavily for years under former administrations. So they're real defensive. They define it very narrowly, you know, which would say pushing out maturities on the debt and taking the savings up front. So getting some near-term relief by pushing out debt service. They're saying they're not do that. In fact, we're dialing in the maturity by one year and we're lowering it, lowering it. So we're not pushing it out. So it's not a scoop and toss. But other market participants, you know, they have a broader definition of it. They really do think that it's a scoop and toss. Um, Municipal market analytics, for example, MMA says that basically anytime there's a deal where the debt service is restructured and you're taking the savings up front for any reason that that's a scoop and toss. So they're calling it sort of a scoop and toss light. Okay. All right. Well, Kaylin, thank you for your work. All right, let's move on to, uh, I believe, sunny Florida with Simone Barrable. How are you doing down there? Doing well today. All right, good to hear. So, Simone, you completed DebtWire's review of hospitals for the most recent period. How are they doing in general? So this was a pretty good period for hospitals under DebtWire's coverage. Most saw operating margin improvements, and most of those improvements were 2.5 percentage points or more. And the interesting thing is, when you look at the largest improvements, those of more than five percentage points, those hospitals tended to have lost money in the prior year. So with the large improvements, it's mainly unprofitable hospitals becoming profitable or very unprofitable hospitals becoming less unprofitable, rather than profitable hospitals becoming very, very profitable. So what's causing these improvements? The improvements haven't really followed a trend. The biggest improvement was Atoka Memorial Hospital, which is doing much better post-bankruptcy, though it's still posting a loss. But when you look at it as a whole, half of the hospitals cut expenses and just held their expenses down so they grew more slowly than revenue. So it's really a mixed bag. So what about the hospitals that are doing badly, would you say? same hospital-specific stories. We had three hospitals, Jackson Madison County General Hospital, Broward Health, and Overlake Hospital Medical Center posting greater than five percentage point declines, which are really big declines. And the reasons were all over the place. At Jackson Madison, expenses were was fattening you because of an acquisition this year, the Tenova West acquisition, where the hospital experienced higher than expected operational transition expenses. At Broward Health, 
the decline was mainly due to post-employment benefit liability adjustment made in 2018, and an overlay, the decline was largely due to a decrease in discharges and inpatient surgeries. So it's really all over the place. Hmm. It sounds like it. So were there any changes in the universe of hospitals that we cover over that period? Yes. So typically we'll add a handful of hospitals that we start covering or take away a couple hospitals because they've diffused their debt or they've been acquired. But this time we did a complete review of all of our hospitals. So we removed 12 hospitals for various reasons. They didn't have sufficient debt still outstanding or their level of risk had fallen over the intervening years or whatever the reason was. And we added 18 hospitals. And our total universe is about 100 credits, so the 12 and the 18, this is a pretty big change. Hmm. So, Simone, there weren't many trends in the improving or deterioration of hospitals. Is there anything out there presenting risks or opportunities to hospitals as a sector? Republican attorneys general, backed by the Trump administration, challenging Obamacare in court, of course, so if that gets overturned, that will lead to more people being uninsured, which will drive down hospital revenue. And at the state level, there's always, you know, you need to look at the state, but there's always these medical Medicaid subsidies that expire after a certain number of years. If they expire, you know, that causes the same issue, although states are likely to extend the there's a recession or unless they have some other reason to cut those, uh, like the state level revenues dropping. And of course, there are elections next year, and we could end up seeing a very different attitude toward health care if Democrats win in either the White House or in the Senate. Well, we shall see. That's an interesting time uh, next year. Uh, all right, so I got one last question for you, Simone. It's, well, it's really more like um, a way to ask you, you know, all your hard work on this hospital watch. Maybe you could tell our listeners out there uh, what briefly your, the mythology behind this. Sure. So basically, we look to see what the operating margin changes are. So we go through every hospital, the, the most recent hospital filing. So this would be something filed between July 1st and the end of September uh, for for the period before um, and look to see, you know, what the, what the net income is doing compared to the net revenue. And when we have particularly interesting cases, and those cases we define as, you know, improvements of more than five percentage points, deterioration of more than five percentage points in the operating margin, or just swinging to a profit or swinging to a loss, we go through and we look at a lot of other information. So we look to see, you know, what the payer mix is at all these different hospitals. We look to see what the, what the utilization is, how many people are going to the hospitals. And we look for additional, you know, debt-related information. And when we give a, a short explanation of why whatever change happened, happened. All right. Well, very interesting. Thank you, Simone, for your hard work. And we'll talk to you again. All right. Thanks so much. All right. And let's move on down to San Juan, Puerto Rico, to Eva Lorenz. How, Eva, how are you doing down there? We're doing fine. The weather is great. Okay, great. I would love to visit Puerto Rico one of these days. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the, tell me, what is the latest on the restructuring support agreement, or RSA as they call it, of the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, better known as PREPA? 
Well, the RSA, which many of you know was agreed upon in May, has the support of about 90% of the bondholders. Uh, this agreement calls for bondholders to exchange their existing bonds uh, for two types of securitization. Uh, in one of them, the bondholders will get 67.5% of the value of their bonds, and in the other, uh, the other are growth, economic growth bonds linked to the economic recovery of Puerto Rico. Uh, the payment of the bonds will be covered through a transition charge that starts at about 2.7 percent cents per kilowatt hour. However, for that reason, uh, PREPA's executive director, Jose Ortiz, is trying to desperately find ways to offset the rate hikes. Uh, but those efforts have failed so far. Uh, for instance, the energy regulator, the Puerto Rico Energy Bureau, recently rejected a petition to reduce the uh, basic rates by 0.01 cent per kilowatt hour to add the settlement charge that will go into effect once the um, uh, RSA is approved. And then the uh, the bureau also rejected uh, to extend an amended power purchase agreement between PREPA, the energy uh, power company, and Ecolectrica, one of its uh, the firms that provides energy to the to PREPA, because it's not it was not in the best interest of customers. This, however, this agreement would have saved millions of dollars to customers in rates, and so far the legislature is not very happy with it. Well, why is it then, if they're not happy with it, why are they rejecting the RSA? Well, the the next year, of course, is the election, and the legislature does not want to pass rate hikes or any structure that will result in a rate hike in during an election year because it will cost them both. And people in Puerto Rico don't want any more rate hikes. We right. have one a very high power rates right now. So then let's go back and let's, let me ask you about why did the energy regulator, you're talking about the PREB, obviously, the Puerto Rico Energy Bureau, mm-hmm. why did they reject the uh, Echo Electrical Agreement and the reduction in the base rate? Well, um, they said they wanted to have the integrated resource plan, which is the uh, blueprint on how uh, PREPA will provide uh, will will suffice the energy needs of Puerto Rico over the next 20 years. They are saying they want to have a new IRP or integrated resource resource plan in place before they agreed up, uh, on a new contract with Ecoelectrica. Uh, this uh, power purchase agreement with Ecoelectrica, which was going to save millions of dollars to customers, is using natural gas. And of course, Puerto Rico wants to move to renewables. So they want to wait until that IRP is in place before they approve it. Uh, Ortiz, the head of PREPA, said yesterday that he was going to appeal that ruling because people do want to have energy saving now, energy savings now and not next year. Right. Well, obviously, a lot of places are besides uh, Puerto Rico are doing the push for renewables. Ava, I got one last question for you. So, let's tell me what is going on down there with uh, uh, PREPA's uh, power plants. Well, the um, Public-Private Partnership Authority recently announced that it was um, it sought 
companies interested in leasing or buying the power plants. Uh, however, yesterday the head of PREPA, Jose Ortiz, uh, said that they are interested in finding a company that will be uh, an operator that will manage the power plants or or to or lease them in the long term and maintain them but he does not want to sell them because right now those power plants are receiving federal funds for repairs and in order for them to qualify for federal funding they have to remain in public hands they're seeking an operator but not but they're not interested in selling the plants even though uh, they have put out a notice saying that i see well very interesting well eva thank you as always for your work down in puerto rico uh stay safe down there and i hope you have a good holiday thank you very much and have a good holiday you too all right well i'd like to thank again eva lorenz Kaylin Devitt and Simone Barabo for uh, participating in today's podcast. We'd like to thank our producer, Anthony Phillips, here. Always makes us sound good. But most of all, to you, our listeners, for tuning in week after week. And a quick note, next week will be our last podcast of 2019 where we look back at the top stories for debt wire municipals. Write that down on your schedule. Until then, take care and be well, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Muni Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.